Blog Talk Radio. Urban Glory Radio, simply glorious. In spreading the gospel to the world, we have designed a streaming radio broadcast for every believer. This word, worship, and witness-filled broadcast streams live every week. Access episodes on demand 24 hours a day. Subscribe to our iTunes podcast and take UGR wherever you go. Visit us online at urbanglorycampaigns.webs.com. Also find us at twitter.com backslash urban underscore glory and like us on Facebook. Enjoy today's broadcast. Well, good evening. Another time to study the Word of God. This is LeVon Breland. I'm going live. And we're going to continue our teaching series, The Theology of Theocracy. The Theology of Theocracy. And I'm going to explain that in detail. And we're going to go from there. I'm going to uh, see if I can get a quick sound check to make certain that every uh, that I'm on clearly, that I can be heard very clearly. So um so we can be effective, all right? Um um and those of um you who know me and know how to inbox me that are listening, um you can always send your questions via inbox on Facebook during the teachings, and if and even after the teachings, I'm always available to study the Word of God. Amen. I'm waiting on a little confirmation just to make sure that I can be heard clearly because, you know, we've had some times and times past, but I want to get right into the lesson. All right, well, we're going to take it uh, face value that we can be heard and, and that this Word is getting out in clarity. Amen. All right, let's pray and get into the lesson. Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. Knowing that this is the day that you have made, we rejoice and are glad. We thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do lean and depend on the Holy Spirit as educator and guide. That gives me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought. Holy Spirit, I say, have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And, Father, and everything that shall be accomplished and everything that shall be revealed, you be glorified. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we do praise you and give you glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We as God's church are equipped with so much insight and foreknowledge that we have absolute confidence in God's plans he foreordained and prepared for us. We willfully, skillfully align ourselves with his heart so that our reality conforms to his way. We say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It is God's plan for us as the church to be the church in confidence. And so I want to challenge us today 
in this teaching about the theology. You've heard me use the word theology. Often in my study, you'll hear me say the theology of hearing the voice of God, the theology of uh, of making a divine connection, the theology. And what I'm doing is the word, the strongest voice of God is the word of God. The word of God reveals the mind of God, the intent behind why God is saying what he's saying to his people. We find God to be a communicating God. He communicates through the scriptures. He communicates through situations. He communicates through seasoned saints. He communicates um, um, through the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and those are just five means by which he speaks to us. But ultimately, all of those must confirm and never contradict the authority of the word of God. We see that in the scriptures in Hebrews 11.3, that through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were, not, were made by things which we don't visibly see. Do you get what I'm saying? And so in that we understand, we comprehend that there's a reality. There are worlds in God's agenda that is revealed through his word. And so we cling to the word of God to gain to gain uh, an awareness of his mind, and that process is called theology. We lock in on the mind of God. It is the study of the mind of God. It's a self-pursuit. We, we answer some questions. Is theology, does theology mean that you go to Bible college? Absolutely not. Everybody has a theology. They have a mode in which they believe they can contact God. Even if it's rejecting God, they had to have a theology as to how to do it. You get what I'm saying? They had to think about God and his existence and whether or not it's real and why they don't believe it. And even that takes on some form of theology, some form of observance to how God exists, what God thinks, and how God um, communicates to us today. And depending on if that if that is not secure, then everything else surrounding its issues are, um, are absolutely and obscure. So we as the body of Christ must, um, must, we must take on this this concept. And one of the attacks is that, you know, unless you go, um, unless you go to school or something, you cannot have that. No, you have this. And, and yes, schooling is important because there are some things that you need to learn. You would never go to a doctor who never got trained. I don't know why you would go to a preacher. Who has never gotten trained? You know, and if they can't sit under someone and learn what thus saith the Lord, then how can they tell you what thus saith the Lord? You know, we got a lot of preachers out there that just fail to educate themselves and fail to go after uh, higher learning and learning how to rightly divide the word of truth. And if it can be rightly divided, there's an indication in that communication and that connotation that it also can be wrongly divided. And we need to make certain that we are not wrongly dividing or wrongly interpreting the scriptures. And that's where, that's where this dialogue comes from. But not only that, we need to also make certain what this, what this teaching also brings to light is the importance of making certain that we are not misrepresenting the scripture. Do <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And, and in our re- reflection and replication of its standards in our day-to-day walk. That if we walk with God and if we talk with God, there's a certain amount of uh, standards and compliance we must all abide to and must all uphold. But we can't do that superficially 
and religiously through rhetoric and lenses of understanding that really catapult our growth. And I want to talk about that. We're going to go to a couple of more passages. We went to Isaiah, and we talked about the captivity of the children of Israel, who were the people of the people who were who was established by covenant. Covenant is the is the is the prototype of the kingdom of God. But not only is it the prototype of the kingdom of God, it is God's contract with humanity to preserve them as long as they proceed under the the precautions that he has depicted and revealed to them uh, to uphold. And so they they were a people that formed nations and governments and families. They were a family that, that grew so large under faith that they became a, a, a source of many nations, a source, a, a source of humanity, and this and this is why we still study them today. The scriptures were written; the Old Testament was written; the scriptures were written for our learning, that we, through the comfort of scriptures, might ha- have hope. So the Old Testament serves as a pattern for us as to how God interacts with humanity, how we how we glean that interaction, how we learn from that interaction. And establishes and establishes our identity for how we convey our intentions today. And it is that it is that self pursuit for them to achieve covenant that that models for us our pursuit to achieve covenant. And those are those are really um, awesome things to perceive and to understand. And we, as the body of Christ, need to do a a, a great deal of appreciation. Um, toward uh, Jewish history so that we can learn, you know, some of the things that are supposed to be customary and common among those that convey their commitment to, um, convey their commitment to um convey their commitment to, I'm sorry, convey their commitment to God. Amen? All right. Now, I was moving some notes because I have literally a library in front of me. Those of you who know, I do a lot of research. And I want to talk, uh, we want to go to the primitive kingdom and do a little study on that in Second, um, First Samuel, do a study of First and Second Samuel. And then we also want to go back to the points that uh, trigger us into uh, what we're going to pick up on Thursday, where I'm going to really deal with theocracy and really kind of bring it to uh, relevance, okay So now I'm giving a historical appreciation Just giving you an understanding of what theology is What theocracy is We're going to put it together today And kind of come up with some explanation That produces um, a, 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 a foreshadowing of what is to come in this study And then in the next series That is a partner with this series There's the theocracy of theology We're going to be call, um, entitling the next series Raising the Same. I'm going to deal uh, heavily with political issues in the body of Christ. And I think we as the body of Christ need to uh, really take um, uh, a much more serious approach to legislation and and political involvement because right now politics are influencing the cultural development and thriving, but we – we tend to shy off of that when it comes to matters of faith, but faith really should be in the forefront of policy and legislation as it was in the Old Testament. Um, matter of fact, we should consider it dangerous for people not to be um, 
socially or consciously aware of the power of politics um, without faith, the danger, the um, the danger that takes place within it. Amen. So, in the last lesson, we went to our Old Testament passage was Isaiah fifty-five verses six to eleven. Which, which really emphasizes that God had a plan. He, he had a plan for a covenant people to restore them from captivity. They were placed in captivity because they disqualified themselves by not keeping the contract or the covenant that they made with God. It caused them, even though they were powerful, they were very, they were very large in number, they were lacking strategy and confidence because they had no divine stability. They had no divine dependence upon God. Anytime someone came with an influence, something that glittered, that looked like gold, they would conform to them versus taking the opportunity to really engage the mind of God to align themselves with what God wanted them to do. And as a result, he says, if you want to get out, know that you can come, you can come, and I become your provider again because I have that type of love for you. I can sustain you and carry you. Matter of fact, come and, and, and buy the bread even though you have no money. Come and drink even though you have no cup. Whatever you need, I have it for you. But know that the perception that you have right now that has kept you in a land of captivity, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Y'all hear that commentary? As far as the heavens are from the not that God did not want them to obtain divine thought. Divine thought is captured with divine revelation, or divine revelation requires a divine relation or relationship with God. So it wasn't that God didn't want to withhold it, but they, their perception was seared with sin. Sin separates you from God. It separates you from God. It's it sets, um, um, it separates you in nature. Sin separates you in nature, separated in nature, meaning that the life of God is being robbed. You're alienated from the life of God with the blindness of your heart. And so God doesn't want you to be that way. But how do you change, how do you, how do you regain, how do you get it back? You change the way you think. That's a, I mean, that's basically what you do. You change the way you think. You change the way you act and engage in the culture, and you ask God for grace to sustain you and to empower you to achieve God's best, God's best. Amen. So we went through Isaiah, and then we found another passage, and I want to go there today and kind of empower that particular concept Um. um we see that it is possible for us to engage and to obtain the mind of God. Who may know the mind of God that he may instruct them? We have the mind of Christ. Romans gives a great defense on on being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, there's another passage in um, Hebrews chapter 10, one of my favorite passages of the scripture, that let us know that the, he restores covenant through Jesus Christ. And, of course, you understand that the, the um, book of Hebrews was a – a legal document to appeal to the consciences of Christians that Christ was superior. He was superior to the law because the law could not make one righteous. He was superior to Moses because Moses hadn't completed his assignment. Every argument that would be opposed and try to uplift Judaism over Christianity was dissolved in the book of, of 
of Hebrews because it opens up with how Jesus, how in, in, in latter days, in the old days, he spoke by his prophet, God in sundry times who, or times past, spoke unto us by the fathers and the prophets have now in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heirs of all things. So he's superior in deity. Um, he's superior over humanity. He's superior over angels. He's superior over Moses. He's superior. He challenges them to enter into the rest and to take advantage of all those things that they omitted. They never completed covenant through worship. They never completed covenant through uh, sacrifice or willful sacrifice. And they never completed the realities of the covenant. That's why you have a cloud of witnesses awaiting for the people of God to take on this 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 um, advantage of the grace that is allotted through the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of him being the sacrifice once and for all. So here he says, this, to see, the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things which was offered year by year continually making um, comers, um, make the comers unto, they're unto perfect. It didn't happen. For when they would have ceased um, to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged, um, once purged, should have no more conscience of sin, their sac- those sacrifices were in remembrance again made sin, um, um, were again made of sins every year. So in other words, the very thing they were trying to escape, they could not fulfill, because every time they did things to um, remind them that they were superior to sin. It reminded them to, that they were sinners. Do you get what I'm saying? So the sin conscious here is a, is a, is a, a directly opposed to attaining the reality of theocracy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna explain that a little better. But in order to really grasp that, you need to understand that covenant, right, is the prototype to the kingdom of God or the way God wants to unfold His plans for humanity. And and one of the promises of the power of the Holy Spirit, which then brings, which makes us connected and access, um, uh, connected and secure in our access to God, is the ability to present us faultless. Hallelujah! Before an all holy God that cannot look on sin, and to bring about that righteousness which Jesus died for, as a propitiation or a stand-in or a service for all, so that we can get God's best again. And in that promises of the waking of the Spirit of God, the sacrifice is being eradicated, um, where everything is being brought in and, uh, and sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every person standeth daily ministering and offering these oftentimes sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Jesus, for by one offering, hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, that are separated for God. So then he says in verse in, in um, uh, 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 verse 15, he says, Wherefore the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, also is a witness to us, for after that he had said this, this is the covenant. He, what does he do? Restore the, the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Those days have already happened, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and into their minds, and I will write them. He will write them. 
and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And now there is no remission of these. Um, where there is no remission of these, there is no more offering for sin. Thank you. Thank the Lord. We thank God that Jesus finished his job. And now you got to read the whole chapter now, but chapter 10 really just brings out that, that verse in verse um, 16, really brings out how God is now infusing laws within us internally. We have an in, inward witness, an inward stability that was fortified through the sanctification and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus once and for all. That when we take on his lordship, when we call upon the name of the Lord, he saves us to what? To an awareness of what we have, who we are, and what we can do. Do you you get my point? So that's what fuels our theology. Every aspect, and that's why I love the book of Hebrews when it comes in the New Testament toward the end, right before the revelation, so we won't get lost in the sauce of depictions about what is perceived in the spirit. We can take this particular document and say, if Jesus be lifted up from the earth, he'll draw men unto him. But in in doing so, it says, look, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ by a new and living way. So this way that he's presenting is a reality that changes and affects our life. It says, look, which he's consecrated through his body or the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. In other words, he restores the way the people of God are supposed to govern, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. It is the Lord Jesus that becomes the tabernacle or the temple of our of our hierarchy. In him the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth. We are complete, the scripture says in Colossians 3, in him. Hallelujah. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm going kind of fast, but I reviewed this last weekend in depth that when you have theology, it answers and seeks um, seeks for meanings about God and how he affects our life. And, and he affects our life by being involved in our life, in our life internally as well as externally. And those things require us to grasp, perceive, to know, to ration out, and to, re, uh, to allow revelations to invade us and envelop in us so that we can embody the convictions and the laws which he is writing and transmitting on the tablets of our hearts so that we can be a people that serve him acceptably and live confidently in, in God. So we let us, it says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Do you get what I'm saying? That's a powerful argument. Um, without wavering, right? So full of, let us um, hold fast without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise, and let us consider one another and provoke unto love. Love, not forsaking ourselves for the assembly as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much as the more as ye see the day approaching. What day is this? This is the, the day that's approaching for the believer is the day where the kingdom of God can be on earth as it is in heaven. And so we did a study on perceiving the progressiveness of the kingdom of God. And in that study, we learned a lot about the kingdom. We learned why it was here, what's its effect, how how it's supposed to direct and, and, and govern our affairs. 
and there is something that should awaken, awaken your soul when you profess Christ as Lord and Savior uh, to the uh, to the power of 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 the reliance that you should have upon the gospel, the acknowledgement necessary to depend upon the Holy Spirit and the confidence uh, needed to hear the voice of God. And I'm telling you, it is it is it is those things. Those things, and we still haven't got into uh, adapting to a biblical worldview, advancing in the convictions of the Spirit. Those things come, but you have to first know that God is and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you knock, the door will be open. If you seek, you shall find. You need to know that you can come in contact with the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Father can communicate to you exactly what you need to know, and that process is called theology. He's after your mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. That is a metaphor. The heart is a metaphor indicative of your mind. Where do you think at? You think in your brain or your innermost being where your perception and your um, discernment is thriving and engaging. And those are where God speaks. He wants to write on those laws of your heart because if I can internally connect with you, I can can, um, cause the will of God to be done on earth because the will of God must be done in a body. It must be housed within. That's why we have internal development, that Christ might be formed in us. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we, we awaken that in the progressiveness of the kingdom of God because we know that the priorities, the provisions, the process, the proclamation, and the power are all locked up in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the kingdom of God is achieved and attained, all right? So now we get into theocracy. What is theocracy? I'm glad you asked. Theocracy is, and I want you to write this down, a system of government that submits to sovereignty. It is where deity is recognized as supreme and the laws are interpreted by spiritual authority. So we, although we are in the world, we are not of the world. Now, if I had time, I would take time to really give you the five passages of Scripture that strongly affirm the thinking behind separation from the world, that we are no longer to conform to the ways of the world because the, the ways of the world are set on the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We are given God's nature or God's attributes that make him God. In Ephesians chapter 6, which is the armor of God, where we have the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the, um, uh, which is the word of God. We have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. We have the, our feet um, uh, 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 prepared with the gospel so that we, everywhere we go, the gospel is the interest of thy word, give of life. And then we also have prayers, all kinds of prayers, and then supplication of the spirit, which is that internal reservoir that has been preserved so that when things happen in us, we can tap on that anointing and that potential that, that awakens us. Do you hear what the spirit has to say to the church? Now, in that, I wanted you to understand this, that, that you need to learn the, of the value of prayer. It is prayer that communicates to us the voice of God. It's where we communicate to God. Now, I want you to understand something. We don't communicate to the devil when we pray. We communicate to God. 
uh, and there's a delusion out there, and there's something, you know, I was talking to someone, and they brought out a key. You know, where do we get all this travailing and all of this warfaring in the spirit through prayer? We don't warfare in the spirit through prayer. We communicate to God in prayer. We warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not uh, not carnal. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Why? How do we do that? We bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. So meaning our perspective is sharpened. That's when the, that's where the warfare begins. We communicate to God to get strength and stamina in the processes of life through prayer. We communicate to God. We're not communicating to the devil. So we're not wrestling. And then when we when we fast. We are spiritually, we are denying our flesh to align with our spirit. And that's where we find and we discover the advantage of having spiritual stability above natural stability. We find out that we are not only flesh, but we have a power, a force within us. The Holy Spirit, the essence of God, which we house in our mortal flesh, that awakens our consciousness to serve God acceptably in the earth. You get what I'm saying? So we learn the the importance of prayer. But not only that, we look contextually at Scripture. And this is all in theology because theology, and, and let me and I'm giving you these, but I want to make certain that you have them, is is so that it answers and seeks God about how He affects our life, but it also alters and reforms our state of, of spiritual development through the search and meaning of deeper ranges of truth. Of truth. Do you hear what I'm saying? So theology awakens the prophetic awareness, articulating experiences and encounters with God's power, presence, and perspective in time. And that's context. Learn contextually the scripture. We find out what God makes us aware of by experiences and encounters with God's power, his presence, his perspective in our time. But then not only that, it adds, theology adds knowledge uh, to the practice of faith because faith with our works is there by giving us attention to how to display what we believe and how we believe and how it affects others. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, the political process is, is, a, is, a, is an engine or a system which is set up by the world, modeling or mocking the original intent for God to uh, uh, to to govern itself, and we see that the, the 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 distortion of government outside of God is always set to failure because it's God that initiated government. Okay, what happened in the Old Testament? The government, the leaders, the spiritual leadership, or uh, well, the leadership was spiritual. So everyone who in the in the scriptures who actually uh, were were leading under God's provision and protection and presence were all those who preserved His character as supreme. See, because theocracy is a a government that it submits to the sovereignty of God as supreme, where deity is recognized as supreme. Say, at the end of the day, God's will be done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, we used to say, if God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, whether I believe it or not, it's settled because God said it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And a great example to go to is the study of Samuel, the prophet, the, the, the prophet who was just serving as a mouthpiece of God to declare the verdicts of God. 
But the people, as a matter of fact, his name means the name of God, the meaning of his name. It opens with the record of the record of Hannah, where Samuel's mother was praying for a son whom God could use. Samuel was the last of the judges. Of course, you know, there was 12 judges in, in, in Israel at this time, and that system of government was always uh, where that was a form of theocracy. The first form of theocracy is revealed in the book of Samuel, where the judges were ru- ruling the earth and God was providing favor on them in extraordinary measures uh, to uh, preserve the children of Israel. And, they, and, of course, remember, when they were led by Moses, they were led by the voice of God. But because the, peop- uh, the people's hearts were cold and they were seeking to worship an image versus the creator, the very creator of a thing, their form of government changed. And they sought out a leader. And then when they sought out a leader to take up what Moses was doing, um, of course, you know, the first time they tried, God almost killed them. You get what I'm saying? They choked on quail. So one generation's lost. But the second generation, in order for them to attain anything, would have to attain it through conquest or fighting, war, warfare. Warfare was never the ultimate or the, uh, um, the ultimate will of God, but it was the permissive will of God. So the children of Israel were engaged into battles. Of course, you know, Joshua led that battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. But in addition to that, that form of government was often preserved by men of God who were separated by the power of God to serve that generation. And that went on for hundreds and thousands of years, and then we see the kingdom system created. And when that was created, it was created under Saul, and here so throughout Samuel, or Samuel, rather, it was created throughout Samuel, Samuel the prophet, all right? Throughout Samuel's long life was useful. His, um, he was God's man. He was prim- um, um, preeminently a man of prayer, and so the first book bears his name and is marvelously a study of the place and a um, um, uh, study of um, in the place and power of prayer when it affects government and people. He was a child of prayer, according to First Samuel chapter three, verses one through nineteen. He was brought; he brought his people to victory through prayer. And First um, Samuel chapter seven, verses five through ten. So when it's mentioned that he want, um, it was mentioned to him not only did they want a king, um, he prayed to the Lord, and um, through intercessory prayer in chapter eight, which we find our text. And in this dark and turbulent times of Israel. We hear the prayer of faith from the lips of this man, um, or, or rather his mother Hannah, as well as this man who dedicated himself to a life of service unto the Lord in First Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 19. So when Samuel was born to Hannah, he brought, brought him unto the tabernacle of Shiloh, and although the corruption of the priesthood was appalling, Samuel was protected and grew up as a boy in the fear of the Lord. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 24 through 28, and chapter 2, verses 12 through 26, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Eli was both a judge and priest at the time, so they were fellow counterparts with Samuel, and he had ruled, he has, um, he had ruled for 40 years under, um, in partnership with Samuel and the other judges. And he was, indulgent, he was an indulgent father, and as a result, his two sons, Sons Hophni and Phinehas 
also were priests were allowed to act um, or they, they, they were acting in a disgraceful manner. As a result, more corruption, and God warned Eli of the downfall of his house. And, of course, um, um, you can check out First Samuel chapter 4. During the, they were invaded by the Philistines, and Israel was defeated. The Ark of the Covenant was taken, and Eli's sons were killed. And when Eli heard all of this, the old man, now 98 years of age, died of shock in First Samuel chapter 4. So here, and of course, you know, within that particular time, and you can go back to Judges chapter 13 and Judges um, 13 through 16, um, you can read the history of the Philistines and their possession of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which lasted for 40 years, okay? And it seems that they had come up with 40, uh, come close in the, the days of Samuel, in First Samuel chapter 7, verse 13 through 19, where his 20 years, 20 years of judge, they were looking for new leadership, and there they produced the kingdom, okay? Now, um, you need to check out First Samuel chapter 8 to really get the context of that. Um, but, of course, he was reluctant because, first of all, his form of leadership was to be given the word of the Lord. And once they gave the word of the Lord, everybody was to comply and carry out the word of God. But in the king's one, we put a symbolic image in front of the people where they, where they become a mediator or someone that reflects the nature of God. So we honor them and their rulership is through them. But what does that do? It takes away from the deity of God or God's ability to speak directly by his spirit, thus saith the Lord. And as a result, you know, um, of course, the sons of Eli die. Samuel hears the voice of God, and he becomes a man of God, and they want to elect the first king of Israel. His name was what? Saul. But God's hand was on who? David. David was a shepherd in the field, a shepherd's boy, but less likely to be presented to be a ruler or a king. And God had him house the seed or the intent of of the Lord Jesus. He became, and so David, of course, Israel Israel's restoration is prophesied in the seed of David. Now, I'm almost out of time. I got to give you these three things. We got to take time to think about how we think about how God views and thinks. And that's all I'm telling you. When it comes to how, and, and, and that's what we're using as an example when we talk about 1 Samuel, why did they make the change up? They were hearing the, They were hearing the word of God from the man of God or the woman of God, and they were complying. And God favored them. Why? They had looked over at the other kingdoms and they established a reality that was not God's best. Now, here they are conquering people prior to them being captured by the Philistines some 40 years after this time period that I'm talking about. But because they diverted their perspectives and their focus and their attentions and conformed to what was the world, they saw that the Egyptians had Pharaoh. They saw that other um, nations in Palestine had kings, and they wanted a king. So now the office of the prophet was translated to a kingmaker, and even though God had called, or even though the people called for Saul, God had chosen David. And, of course, you know the process with, with David and Saul and um, and how Saul, even though they worked together and, and David served his house, he, Saul had an evil spirit to come on him and hate on his own blood. But in the midst of that, God hid 
David in the cleft of the rock, and even though he had uh, problems with women, God had made him a man after God's own heart, and God was able to bless the entire nation of Israel because of one man's willingness to yield to that sovereign authority. And perhaps if we have a leadership that yields to sovereign authority in our land, we can see very Forms of various forms of transformation that too awakens within us the power to transform this earth into the kingdom of God. But if we don't have a theology, if we don't have a perspective, a God-given perspective of how government should be established, we'll be just like this when it comes to every election, looking for a king, looking for a king. And the way you dispose and this this disdain and neglect the force and the and the and the and the advancement of a theocracy is by inserting democracy for the sake of freedom. Amen. And I gotta stop there. We gotta take time to think about how God thinks about how we think. But then we gotta trace the mind of God through the lens of scripture for context. How do we properly use the scripture to make make an advantage of our theocracy? And how do we do that? We take a fresh outlook on the role of the Holy Spirit as the intelligence of God. Amen? Now, those are just our starting points. We're going to get a lot deeper. And, of course, you know what it awakens the spiritual discipline, sound doctrine, sensitive discernment, social development, but ultimately standardized faith practices. And these are what should awaken our souls to step up to the plate and make God glorious. Amen? Amen. I'm out of time. I'm really out of time. I don't have enough to really continue, but I do have more content. I have a whole lot more to say. Um, And I will say on this Thursday as we Start part two, and then on Sunday we'll conclude this teaching. Amen. But I'm, I, hopefully you've gotten the concept of theology and theocracy, and now in the next lesson we're going to bridge it together and bring relevance to this dialogue as it relates to our politics and our position as believers on how we should govern um, that, that form of perspective um, that is at hand. Amen. Times are changing, and we as the people of God, must know that we house the force of God and have confidence because the voice of God translates our world and our life. To them that have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Let's pray. We delight in you, God, because we know that in spite of us, you are still yet speaking and calling upon those who are willing to hear you, saying, what must we do? I pray today that someone will come into the knowledge of the truth and learn your ways so more intimately they may serve you more faithfully. And for that alone, we praise you and give you glory in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. This is the anointing all in this. Um, But I know that at the end of the day, we as the body of Christ are going to really have to take a standard that's just beyond just voting, and beyond just religious rhetoric about what we quote-unquote believe, but we're going to have to take a nation and bring it unto the order and the disciplines in which God has provided for his children. Amen, amen, and amen again.
God bless you. I trust that whatever you set your hands to do, you will do, because greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. This is LeVon Breland, founder of Urban Glory Campaign and host of Urban Glory Radio. God bless you, and have a wonderful evening.